Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Chico, California. You're wondering where that is. It's about 100 miles north of Sacramento. Welcome to the show, Wes Hill. Thank you, Victor. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Great to have you here. Now, Wes, we've got to know each other over the last several years, and you've got an extraordinary portfolio across multiple states. But before we dig into that, I'd love to get a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Sure. My background is in property management. I started managing and mowing lawns and doing maintenance on properties in San Diego during college in the late 80s and moved up to Chico in the early 90s and worked for a property management company, became a CPM and a broker and started buying small local properties during that time. And then in 2000, I started my own management company, which I ran till last year, which I I sold it to a couple of employees. But since the early 2000s, I've been putting property management and brokerage clients together by 100 unit plus size properties, mostly in Oregon, Washington, and in the last few years in Utah. So we have about 1,400 units with partners. We have an asset management company that oversees the assets for our partners, our clients, our friends, and considered syndication, but we haven't gotten into that realm yet, if we will at all. We're all multifamily in Oregon, Washington, and Utah, and a little bit in California, Northern California. So let's talk a little bit about what your experience has been over the past year. Obviously, it's been a tumultuous year on so many different levels. We're hearing about both vacancy in some communities, economic vacancy, where some tenants are not necessarily paying the rent, but they're protected by the moratorium on evictions. What's been your experience? Well, I think like a lot of multifamily and other commercial investors, we were very concerned going in early and we cut all distributions to our partners and ourselves for, I think, the months of uh, March and April. And then we're somewhat pleasantly surprised, again, we're only in multifamily, that the collections were better than we thought. So we were able to resume partial distributions or or maybe 75% of normal in May, June, July. But we're seeing overall the amount of delinquencies is increasing. I'm looking back as we're speaking to the second quarter. So April, June last year, where more or less things were between 5 and 0% or 1% delinquent. And now our worst is in Washington State at 16%. This is, again, ending month delinquent rent for the current period. So what I'm referring to Eugene, Oregon, and some of the Oregon states in the six, seven, eight percent range. And then our best locations are Salt Lake City area, zero to three percent. So it's definitely crept up since the second quarter of last year. And that is a very concerning trend that we are seeing on delinquencies. That's quite a market difference. You're zero to three percent in some markets and 16, 17 percent in others. What are the differentiating factors? Is it positioning of the product? Is it strength of property management? Is it landlord-tenant regulations in the state? I don't know if you have a definitive answer or maybe just a perspective on what's driving that difference in performance. Yeah, I think the consensus is that C-class is hurt more than A-class for you know obvious reasons, but that really hasn't been our experience. And as you well know from doing this a long time yourself, this is such a people business. So you might have a stellar manager at a C-class property that's working closely with people who are having challenges and they're collecting as well or better than a B or C-class. So it's not a scientific formula by any stretch of the imagination, this uh, residential real estate business we're in. I did speak with our property manager, actually the owner of the company, that a management company that oversees our 350 units or so in Salt Lake. 
and they've just taken a you know very active role in working with people. There is a lot of resources, whether it be through the LDS Church or through the state or from the cities. And that particular market has done better than some of the other states that were the two other states in particular that were in Oregon and Washington. I don't have a direct correlation between A class to C class or property management skills because we got an excellent management company in, in Oregon and Washington where these numbers aren't as favorable. So I think it does, as you've said in your own shows in the past, that real estate is hyper localized. So I just don't think there's a, a, a direct relationship between those factors in our experience. And we're only talking 1,400 units or so in eight or nine different buildings. It's interesting because we've, for example, in our portfolio, some of our tenants in Philadelphia tried early on to say, we can't afford to pay rent. And they pointed to the moratorium on evictions. And we went back to them and said, demonstrate your hardship. Show us that you are collecting unemployment now or that you've lost your job. Or if you are collecting unemployment, why, when it's equal or better to what your pay was before, tell me why you can't pay the rent now. And in almost every case, they back down and they continue to pay the rent. So how are those conversations going with your tenants? Oregon Washington properties, the ones that are burdened and who haven't paid rent or paid partial rent, it hasn't gone particularly well. In some cases, people are, are, and I think legally speaking, they can say, do not contact me again. So we have not been able to collect from those people. And it's been frustrating. It feels as though the burden of COVID and providing housing has fallen on the shoulders of housing providers. And I think anybody you spoke with, I'm sure you've, you've had those conversations last summer and into the fall yourself, where people felt inclined to, I mean, legally, and they had to, but just morally just felt like they wanted to show compassion and reality for people's situations and such. But at what point does that become excessive? And in my opinion, six months in and not being able to evict people. And now in Oregon and Washington, we can't evict until July. And then they're going to have a backlog of cases. We have some cases where people have not paid they owe 20000 or plus dollars in rent because they haven't paid their $1,400 rent for nearly a year now. And they never will. And that's just a write-off. It's challenging. It's frustrating. And in some of those economies, like, for example, Eugene, Oregon, where the economy is pretty good, why don't they pay a portion or a portion of the, the total rent and contribute somewhat? But And some people, I'm sure, are doing that. I'm sure there are those cases. But I'm just looking at $30,000 a month of uh, delinquent rent in, in some cases on our buildings, but it's certainly adding up. One of the things that we've experienced, certainly if a tenant doesn't pay the rent, one of the remedies that's been removed is the ability to evict. But that doesn't mean it's the only remedy. What we've been able to do in our province of Ontario is ask simply for a notice, a judgment for arrears owing. We're not asking to evict anything like that. We're simply asking the landlord-tenant board to recognize that the rent is still owed. And then armed with that judgment, we actually do have the ability to go and request an enforcement action for collection, whether that be garnishing of wages or what have you. We have that remedy still available to us. Now, if a tenant doesn't pay, theoretically, they still owe the rent. Isn't that the case? Absolutely. I, I think when I'm referring to the, the eviction word, I'm referring to gaining possession of the home. I think there is still the amount owed. But as you well know, when somebody owes a significant amount of money, it's going to be very difficult to collect. And what's interesting also, we haven't touched on the occupancy, is, and maybe you could say some of our housing stock has been taken out of the market when people, a certain percentage, haven't paid rent. But fewer people are moving around. Fewer people are the apartment world. People change homes sometimes because they want a different color carpet. So that isn't happening nearly as much. So our occupancies are 
actually much, much higher. Now you could certainly say that part of that's delinquency because they haven't paid rent, they're, they're not you know, moving. But in general, occupancies, as I'm sure from national numbers, are much higher. So we are making up some of that loss rent and delinquencies with occupancy, which has been a, a blessing. So over the last quarter, how steep has the degradation in collections been? I know you said at the outset that you were starting to be a little bit alarmed by the trend. Are you seeing it getting dramatically worse or is it a gradual degradation? It's gradual. Just looking at my numbers here, the second quarter, we're between 1% and 5% and now we're between 1% and 15%. And these aren't highly levered properties. We're not seeing the blues too hard with our cash flows and such, but we are seeing a trend. And I think as things get better, as the um, vaccine comes online and and things open up, I think we will see that decline as far as delinquencies and people start moving around a bit and kind of normal flow of things will eventually occur. We're not super stressed and we're acquiring another 100 unit building in Eugene, Oregon. and, And there is some delinquency issues, but really on underwriting from lenders, they're not really dinging us for that, that they're having larger reserves on the acquisition side for payments and such, but not dinging the values, which the diminishment of net operating income hasn't really affected values that I've seen anyway. Very interesting. So what about your existing portfolio? A lot of lenders do offer the possibility of a forbearance agreement. Maybe it's an interest holiday for a certain number of months, or maybe it's a principal holiday, you just pay the interest. And now you're essentially doing a loan modification to extend the principal pay down by the number of months that you didn't pay that principal pay down or something like that. Have you contacted any of your lenders for forbearance or are you simply keeping that in your back pocket in case you need it? We did look into it early on in in the COVID situation starting, I think, in March and April. And we did have a conversation or two just to learn about it because we hadn't uh, endeavored into that in the past. So we have not gone down that road. I, I do know there's it does harm your ability to borrow from Freddie and Fannie in the, in the future. I'm not sure about HUD, but we haven't filed for any kind of forbearance, haven't needed to. Again, although we love the value of debt, it's also nice to not have uh, really levered properties. So we're not experiencing that negative cash flow yet. We have, like I said, diminished distributions somewhat on, on most properties. It goes back to having the fundamentals that you talk about a lot and others about having sufficient cash reserves, not overly leverage and uh, planning for that rainy day. Now, how long will this rainy day go on? (laughs) I don't know. And I don't think anybody does. But considering all the real estate types, I'm sure glad we're in multifamily. I can say that. Absolutely. Wes, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Sure. They can go to our website. It's a long one. Are you ready? multifamilyassetadvisors.com altogether. And you can see our portfolio. You can reach out to me personally, but happy to interact with anybody who's interested. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Wes. Very interesting insight. It's interesting to be speaking with an owner who has assets across multiple state boundaries and seeing a marked difference in the performance of the properties, perhaps because of that. So definitely feel free to reach out to Wes at multifamilyassetadvisors.com. That's multifamilyassetadvisors.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.